right, welcome to the Star Wars Book Community Podcast. On today's special episode, we're going to be digging into one of the, I think, I don't know, maybe maybe we don't have agreement on this one, but I think one of the uh, most interesting Star Wars books to come out this year. Um, it's an anthology, and if you don't know what it is yet, <laughs> we're talking The High Republic Tales of Light and Life. Uh, this one came out uh, technically at San Diego Comic-Con on July 20th of 2023, but realistically to the rest of the world, it came out on September 5th, 2023. Um, we're doing a little bit different this time in terms of how we're talking about it. Um, we've divided all of the stories here up into different segments, groups of two. And each of these segments, we're going to have some different people that you know and love from the online Star Wars book community uh, digging in and telling us what they thought about those stories. Uh, a lot of those interviews are hosted by or conducted by my co-host today. Johnny, how's it going? Yeah, it's good, Morgan. It's good. So you'll hear a lot of Johnny today talking with our various interviewees, but a little bit of me, a little bit of our other normal um, SWBC podcast people uh, kind of digging into our own individual stories. I don't know. Do you want to do you want to do any lead in on this one, too, Johnny? Or are we are we just feeling good jumping right into our first Tale. The, the, the only other bit of background, I guess, that, that I can think of, because you know, we, we started organizing some of these conversations, it feels like months and months ago, um, because I guess we wanted to get this range of voices on, on board. Um, so so I, we did ask folk um, who we were thinking about having on the show, we did ask them to sort of give us an idea of what their favorites were and sort of rank the stories a bit. So what we tried to do when sort of allocating stories to each of the pair of contributors here was to give them stories that we knew they definitely enjoyed. I mean, I think I think fair to say everybody enjoyed all or nearly all of the stories in the books, but we wanted to give folk the chance to talk, to talk about their favorites, really. I think um, so too. So, without further ado, then, should we hit the play button on the first duo, Morgan? Absolutely, let's do it. Fantastic. Here we go. So, here we are sitting in the Star Wars book community Tap Calf, and uh, I'm joined by a pair of Star Wars book lovers, uh, one of whom has been on the show before, one who hasn't. It's Nick Conrad and Carmelo Easterich from Nick and Mello's Hyperspace. Nick, hello. It's great to have you on the show for the first time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of what you guys do, and I've been itching to get on the show for a while now, so I'm thankful to have uh, an opportunity to be on here. First of many appearances, I hope. And Carmelo, super to have you back and great to talk to you again. It is a delight to be here again. And I am a gigantic High Republic fan. So I'm so pleased to be invited to be doing this, uh, this set of uh, short stories. Absolutely. I remember we talked a bit about the High Republic when we chatted back in July. Folks listening may remember you from from that chat when we talked about your book, the the, the Star Wars multiverse. Right. And folks, if if you do enjoy the occasional special episodes in which we talk to academics and authors who write about Star Wars, then there are two things you need to do. One is go and check out that special episode with Carmelo from July. 
and Carmelo was basically uh, patient zero for, for the trial of, of how that uh, that concept <laughs> might work. <laughs> and um, also, you need to seek out a copy of Carmelo's book, which is a real treat. Um, but thank you both for joining us here in the Community Tapcaf to, to help us chat about this collection of great stories from, from the High Republic. Uh, the two tales that I want to chat to you to about today are After the Fall by Claudia Gray and All Jedi Walk Their Own Path by Charles Soule. Probably two of the most anticipated stories from this, this book, I think, not least because they're probably the tales that focus most on the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of, of the fall of Starlight Beacon. Mm-hmm. Um, in After the Fall, and let's deal with that one first, uh, by Claudia Gray. Here we follow Affy Hollow and the crew of the vessel uh, as they try to be useful and process their own thoughts and feelings uh, in the day, week and month after the fall of starlight. Now, Nick, you were particularly taken with this one. Is that because you were keen to see the aftermath of the fall of Starlight Beacon uh, or because you're a fan of the Vessel crew? Yes, to both. (laughs) Okay. Yes, to both. And because I'm a big Claudia Gray fan. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this was really fun because so much of the High Republic has been about the Jedi and the height of their power. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've really enjoyed that. But I think Star Wars is at its best when we have great characters who aren't Jedi or Force users. Mm. When we have a Han Solo, a Padme Amidala, uh, characters like that that kind of give us a more grounded approach to Star Wars. And I think the Vessel crew is probably the most iconic from the High Republic that's not a Jedi. Mm. Um, and I just in, have enjoyed them. That's a very fun group. Uh, and I think, of course, wanting to know as soon as uh, Fallen Star ended, what happens next was on my mind and I'm sure everyone else has listened to this when uh, this was announced. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a real sense in this story of, it reminds me of, you know, the beat at the end of the rise of Skywalker where, you know, it's just people, you you know, there's something about just people coming together. It, it, that, that runs through this, um, you know, but but you know, it is textured as well. There are layers to it, um, which are interesting. There's a little hint at one point, or sort of, not the first day, but maybe maybe not the first week, maybe maybe the month after, where there's kind of there is a bitterness creeping into public sentiment about what has happened as well, and that maybe you know you have these tragedies, but then can be politically twisted, or, or you know, the, 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 there's there's a little hint there that maybe all is not wonderful and rosy but the overarching thing i thought i thought was the the idea of people coming together and and making themselves Mm -hmm. useful which was really lovely to see um carmelo what about you uh did you enjoy this one oh i loved it i'm a a huge claudia gray fan as well um i there were two things that i found really interesting number one i loved how star wars has opened a door for american authors to think about September 11, 2001. Yeah. And that this story in many, many ways is sort of framed by the trauma of 9-11. But it was, such, it was done in such a beautiful way, both about the goodness of people after a traumatic event and also about the anger that comes after, as, yeah. you, as you mentioned, um, when we go into the story and we go a month after it, that then people start sort of getting that anger through. And so I, I love that. I really love seeing, I always say that Star Wars is only fictionally far, far away because there's so many connections between our yeah. world. 
Um, but this 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 story specifically um, really felt like a very American story framed by 9-11. And so that was that was wonderful. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that's something as an American born and raised uh, that I didn't even consider, actually. Uh, so I'm glad ah. you brought that up, Carmelo, because now, mm. now looking back on it, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of, uh, you know, uncertainty, a lot of like what's next. Uh, you know, I was very small when that happened here in America. Uh, but, you know, I do, I know family and friends that are older that have told me what that experience was like. So yeah. I definitely get the vibe of that now that you've mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, it, it jumped out to me. Um, and one of the reasons that it jumped out to me was because I, I think up till now, the way that these events have played out in the High Republic and been presented in the High Republic, they've had a slightly different flavor. They, you know, there have been some sort of big cataclysmic events, but... If, I, if you think about, say, the attack on the Nihil attack on Valu in the Rising Storm, it kind of had more the feel of, I don't know, and I think it might, it might have been um, academic Chris Kempshell who brought this up during my chat with him in August. You know, the idea, like the terrorist attacks in Paris, where there's more of a kind of a sense of there's a running thing going on on the ground oh, and people yeah, are following yeah, yeah. it live on Twitter. <laughs> you, you know, whereas. Starlight Beacon and the fall of Starlight did have that sort of, this is a big calamity. It's a big moment that the world is watching. And the way that Claudia Gray picks that up again in this short story was very much channeling some of that. The, 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 all of the images of the missing people plastered on the walls or yeah. the hollow, I think they're probably hollow images here. You, yes. you know, was to, to, I remember that from the news stories coming out of New York, yep. in, you know, in September 2001, you know, people looking for the missing, or, you know, people who may have been killed or just lost in the chaos was, was one, of, one of Claudia Gray's turn of phrases, you know, just, mm -hmm. they'll turn up eventually, but we just don't know where they are. Communications are down. No one knows where anybody is. All of that felt very 9-11. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think the other thing that I really liked about the story is sort of seeing seeing the goodness of people. Mm -hmm. um, we don't mm. see a lot of that uh, because High Republic has always been about crisis, 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 crisis. Yeah. And it was really nice to have a story about what happens after the crisis is over. Yeah. And that, that I thought was very moving, very moving. Absolutely. I, I often say that my, 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 one of my favorite bits of the High Republic is the first half of Light of the Jedi because that's when everything is working okay. <laughs> that's when everything is fine. <laughs> You know, even though there was a bit of a crisis, they dealt with it. They dealt with it really well, you know. Um, but uh, since then, it's kind of been one unfortunate event after another. Sorry, Nick, you were going to jump in and say something there. No, I was going to make it's a good point because so much of the High Republic has been, you know, a big, big cataclysmic event after cataclysmic event. And this is really, I felt like the first time in a while we've got to sit and kind of deal with the aftermath of things. Yeah. Um, instead of jumping to the next big event. And, you know, I, these are this collection of stories is they're not essential reading i'm assuming to what's coming next but i think it gives a good insight of what uh what kind of where we're setting the stage where the story is going forward but yeah like carmel said i enjoy just seeing people you know deal with the aftermath and even gives me kind of a um a weird feeling that you know even the jedi during this time they don't know what to do no. even though they they're the ones that usually are turned to for answers but we even get to see the jedi in this story yeah uh, they get they just are unsure of what's next. Yeah, they've all been called back to Coruscant, basically, uh, to, to regroup right. because yeah. they're, 
they don't know what on earth has happened and there there are rumors of this thing that goes around eating the force out of people and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't really know how to handle that <laughs> um but yeah all, all in all it's it's a, it's a lovely pause and a sort of a moment to actually breathe and sit with what has happened and before i guess we'll, we'll be propelled off into the next phase of things with novels that, that, that mm-hmm. are going to come out um so so that's after the fall uh the other one that we want to chat to you guys about is all jedi walk their own path by charles soul now i think this is another one that folk were looking forward to not least since charles soul had been teasing for months about whether or not Buryaga was alive um <laughs> and, and here we find bell zetifar i mean like, we, we left the guy I think lightsaberless and taking on two Rathars or something on a, on his own um, as the station fell out of space. Um, but here we find Bell Zetafar determined to find his friend, sort of refusing to believe that he's gone. Um, intercut with memories of a mission that he went on with his master, Loden Greatstorm. Um, anyway, there's, I guess there's, there's, an over, there's kind of a theme running through this of kind of winning hearts and minds, uh, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Carmelo, th- this was one of your favourites from the collection. What is it about this story that you find so satisfying? This, this was my top favourite. This is my, yeah. it was the, the one that I found the most moving. Number one, I, I, I love big novels, and this was a really long short story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think of it almost as, as a novella, mm-hmm. as, a, as a short novel, um, in the way that it was presented. Um, I, this is something that Claudia Gray did in Into the Dark. Um, I love the moving it into the past and the present, and how connects, how, how the, the bridge exists between something that Bell Zetifer did when he was mm-hmm. younger um and then and then the present that he has to live in and into the dark did it in a beautiful way and and this was another really parallel story that i enjoyed very very much um the other thing it was that it was so nice to see more of loading great great storm yeah. um mm-hmm. because you know as we all know now he's not with us anymore and it was wonderful that we had an excuse yeah. to go into the past um, and see him again. I also loved how this story connects with many elements from Light of the Jedi, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. the first time that we meet both Bel Zedifar and, and Loden. And so there are these beautiful moments. There's a, a moment um, where he's saying, I know how to fall. Uh-huh. Loden taught me. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I got teary-eyed because I had forgotten yeah. that and I was reminded of it. And it was like, oh no, yes. And so it was just really beautiful how we get Loden back for a little bit and also we get to connect the past with the present. That's why I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it myself. Um, and, and for you know, the, the same reasons, really. And I think that I'll find it enriching going back. And I haven't managed to do my reread of that phase of novels yet. But when I do eventually get back and do it and reread Light of the Jedi, it'll be lovely to read it. Just ha- having that knowledge of this other little adventure that they went on you know at the back of my mind um Mm -hmm. always good to see more more of folk like loden nick what about you did you enjoy all jedi walk their own path i did yeah i I think one thing i really enjoyed with the two stories of the present day and the past is kind of seeing the jedi uh, relate to everyday people Mm. and oftentimes we don't i feel like we don't get a lot of that when it comes to the tv series and the movies uh jedi and even in the clone wars ahsoka is very critical of uh you know toby one and anakin that 
the people don't relate to the Jedi and they don't understand how the everyday folk are affected by the Jedi's actions. And um, I really thought it was really cool to see Bell just take up being a fisherman yeah. and being a part of this crew. <laughs> and he did have his you know reasons for doing this, but uh, he kind of grew a bond with them over the time they spent together. Yeah. Um, and then, like you guys said, any time to bring in Loden Greatstorm is, is a delight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes struggle a bit with these sort of split flashback structures. You know, if mm -hmm. maybe very often, I think it feels like the writer has one of those stories that they prefer and the one they really want to tell you. But the other one's kind of just there to kind of they've got to do it because thematically oh. it sort of feeds in. And, and very often when I read those, I can sort of tell which story the author really wants to tell you and which one mm -hmm. is kind of just perfunctorily there because they need a bit of backstory for the thing they're more interested in. Um, but that wasn't the case here. You know, it, th thematically, it worked perfectly and it made absolute sense narratively that Bell would be thinking about that experience while he was on this adventure, w you know, winning the hearts and minds of that sort of fishing boat crew and the people generally he was relying on to help him find Bury ultimately. Mm -hmm. But uh, Nick, you mentioned my favorite bit of the, of the story there. The, he, he just joins the crew of this fishing vessel. And he's just a, he's just an ordinary dude working a fishing crew, you know, and he has this other objective <laughs> because he wants to get out there to see what he can find in terms of clues for Bury. But, you know, he's just letting the force guide him there by being among the people. And I loved that. I really loved it. It's not something we see particularly. I just I think this also shows uh, the story is a great example of we get to see Bell's character development, because I feel, you know, if this had taken place maybe soon after Light of the Jedi, Bell would have been way more impatient yeah. looking for Burry. Uh, but now that we've know, you know, he's had that time to process Loden's passing and the lessons that Loden has passed on to him, I think a more mature Bell, uh, it made more sense for him here. Uh, like I said, Light of the Jedi, or maybe that time frame, he may not have been as patient as he was. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's something I love about this collection of stories generally is it, it's giving a lot of the characters space to, to grow a little bit before we yeah. find them later. You know, we're gonna before mm -hmm. they just get thrown in, propelled into the next adventure, and where we're writing wise, there's gonna be less time and room on the page to to talk about them character wise before they've got to deal with this other thing. It, it helps us maybe accept the fact that maybe when we meet them in the next batch of novels, they they might have changed a bit, and we're just seeing little bits mm -hmm. of that in these stories, and I love that. I love this novel, the story, because. Uh, the Jedi has been getting a really bad rep recently. Um, mm -hmm. So many people are constantly talking about their mistakes during the Clone Wars and and all of these things. And so they, I love the High Republic because it's sort of giving us another side of the Jedi, yeah, the goodness of the Jedi, the selflessness of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. uh, and this story is a really good example of what happens when the Jedi really work. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. The High Republic Jedi Order for me feels like a Jedi Order that has um, a, a larger Qui-Gon quotient, you know, in its ranks. You know, there are, there are more Qui-Gon Jinn type mm -hmm. Jedi in there, you know, um, slightly more free thinkers. Uh, and it's more just a bit more mm. flexible. You know, which yes. which I find yeah. intriguing, intriguing. But I think that's possibly all the time that we've got um, before we we need to hand back to to the rest of the crew. But guys, thank you so much for, for helping us to dive thank into you for those. Us. I, I think those are 
I think for me, two of my favorites from, from the collection as well. Uh, and certainly mm -hmm. two, two of the most anticipated. Totally. Uh, and I think we'll probably be high up on most folks lists. Uh, but before we go, why don't you let folks listening know where they can find you both online and, and indeed uh, Nick and Carmelo's hyperspace. Sorry, Nick and Mellow's hyperspace. Yeah, so we are available on YouTube and Spotify and pretty much any podcast platform you can find. Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, NickyC.28. You can follow me there where I post a bunch about Star Wars and baseball. And I am on Instagram as Caramello Mello Mello. <laughs> and I post about all sorts of things. Star Wars is one of the many, many things. Um, and you can follow me there. Fantastic, fantastic, guys. Well, thank you, thank you again so much. And I uh, hope to have you both back on the show in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. Oh, my gosh. They got, like, the best stories. I mean, not not objectively the best, <laughs> but those are some of the some of the real heavy hitters in terms of the emotional turmoil in those ones. I know, right? What a way to open the episode. I'm a little bit jealous. I kind of wish I could talk to you. I, I really enjoy talking about those two, actually, because th those are the stories, I think, that folk were really hoping get from this collection you know what was happening in the immediate aftermath of what happened when the starlight when starlight beacon fell you know um what happened to bury what's go what's going on on the ground what's, what's the galaxy looking like you know yeah absolutely you i know you said that those were probably the two biggest most anticipated stories and i, th I agree but i think that the one that our next or one of the ones that our next group gets to talk about was probably equally anticipated, but not on a phase one or on, not on a phase one track on a phase two track. Yeah. So maybe we should yeah, jump right absolutely. into the absolute chaos. The absolute <laughs> chaos of Chris and Dan. Let's do it. Hello, this is Dan and Chris. You probably know both of us by now because we're on this podcast way too much. This is our little Tales of Light and Life segment. Hey, Chris. Yo. Yo. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the two stories that we've been tasked with talking about is uh, A Closed Fist Has No Claws by Tessa Grattan and The Call of Coruscant by the wonderful Lydia Kang. Um, Lydia? We, I mean, just before we get into it, Chris, did we like the overall tales of light and life anthology? Yeah. Yeah, they were all, every single story was was good. I, I had I had preferences, but there was no yeah. there was no bad ones. It was all at least enjoyable. Mm. You know. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think it was good because there was definitely like different styles of stories for different oh, yeah. types of fans. So I feel like regardless of what type of Star Wars fan you were, there was a story there that you would like. My least favorite one, actually, you'd probably find quite surprising. I'm not going to say it here because it's going to out. But I'll tell you afterwards. Well, I mean, we were talking about it after, after I mean, way back when, when we all read this, um, and we all had different lists, and like some of the ones that like you had up the top, I had at the bottom, and vice versa. Like yeah. we were all very different. Well, okay, we'll say my least favorite then. My least favorite was Claudia Grace. Really? See, that was yeah. like, that was like my third favorite. I don't know. I just, I just kind of found it boring, which is weird because I love everything Claudia Grace done. Um, but I don't know, maybe it just, maybe it was me when I was reading it. I don't know. Yeah. 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 But then, and like, for example, with me, Kevin Scott is one of my favorite 
authors in the world, but his was one of my least favourites. I fucking love that one. So, yeah, I, I mean, I loved them all. Like, genuinely, my least favourite is still better than most short stories, but oh, yeah. you have to rank stuff. I mean, if you're Johnny, you don't, but I like to rank things. Yeah, and, I like ranking things. I'm not Shabba ranks. And... Uh, <laughs> Nineties <laughs> reference. Uh, right, should we actually talk about the stories? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So oh, I keep on forgetting the title of this one. Closed a, fist a, has no claws. A closed fist has no claws. Uh, what did you think of this one? Well, um, if anyone has listened to our chats before, um, you'll know that we're big Mardero fans. Big Mardero fans. Big Mardisans, and when um, Path of Vengeance finished, I was like, "We need more because that can't just be it. We can't leave it open ended. I need more to find out how she started the Nile, how it became what we find in Phase One, and we got it. This is that story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's crazy. Like it's so good. It's heartbreaking because I love Marda, and I specifically love Marda in Path of Deceit when she's really sweet and innocent." Um, and she's got weird views, but she's like really sweet and innocent. Um, and then this is like, she's gone like full dickhead. Yeah. In this. Uh, and it was really great. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'd say like out of all the stories, this is possibly the most important out of all of them. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. This one um, or Souls one are probably like the most story yeah, significant ones. From a character base perspective yeah the, the soul one is important because you get to find out what happens to a certain character but um yeah this one just feels like this feels like a massive law dump mm. you know that yeah that will probably be referenced for a long long time if, if people have any sense i mean they they even reference the planet is it ryston that they go to at the beginning of the rising storm like the Ever Any yeah, sure. yeah, character in here talks about, oh, we sometimes meet on Ryston, and I'm pretty sure that is the the planet from The Rising Storm the Rising when Margin goes and gets the leveler. Where he gets the leveler, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so they're like laying all this. I, I really love this one. I think this is like one of my favourites. Um, the first yeah. person thing I sometimes struggle with in books, yeah. but I think because it was a short story, it didn't bother me so much. Yeah, it was perfect for this. We got to have a like a quick look in Marda's head. It made all the beats hit harder because we haven't yeah. had any first person perspectives from Marda. Um, yeah. So it was yeah, really powerful stuff. Yeah, really yeah, good. and I think I think it was that it was that like oh, I wonder where Marda goes after Path of Vengeance. Does she sort of try and regain some of her humanity, or does she go down a darker path and? I think this book quite sadly answers that she does just end up walking an even darker path. I mean, it would be quite surprising if she had regained some of her humanity and then, you know, turned good again, but then still created the Nile. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Nile's born from chaos, so she had to descend into chaos, didn't she, to do that. She is the creator of the Nile. Yeah, she is. It's even referenced in a phase three thing I've read. I'm not going to say what. But one character references that Mardero was the creator of the Nile in right. one of the things. Yeah. Um, so this is this is that story. Yeah, because <clears throat> I'm just looking at the last page here because um, it talks about the the red storm planet smeared with blood and paint against the dark walls, uh, and then they talk about like all the storm like imagery and stuff like that. Like this is literally like Nile stuff 
through yeah. and through. Like it's it's not being subtle about it. This is like the Nile started right here with yeah. Mardo Row. Yeah. Uh, and I think the Nile are going to be um, uh, a, a villain in Star Wars that stays sticks around for a long, long time. I hope so. Whether it's in movies or games or just books or references in the future, just like um, how the Mandalorians became prominent and um, the Rakatan are still mentioned, you know, I feel like the Nile are going to be up there because they're so compelling because they're so different from the usual, like, Sith acolytes, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love um, the Nile. And I think I think the whole path of the open hand, path of the closed fist, Mardaro stuff only added so much more to the Nile now that we can see those connections starting to be formed. Oh, yeah. Totally. The the Nile have now have a more complete and um, satisfying origin than the Jedi or the Sith or anyone, in my opinion. Yeah, certainly in canon, at the f- for the time being, certainly in canon, yeah. Yeah, because obviously they did Dawn of the Jedi and stuff, but even, even so, like, that was still a good few thousand years into it. Yeah. We actually have the origins of, of something, and we understand... We understand and we feel for the emotions that led to that that yeah. creation. Whether we agree with it or not, we still understand it because we went on that journey with that character from being a flower girl who was teaching little children into <laughs> the creator of one of the biggest destructive forces ever that's killed more Jedi than almost anyone else. So yeah, yeah it's it's a compelling story and this is this is the um the bridge that ties it all together, I'd say, this little short story. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that we've summed up pretty well, right? Yeah, Madero's hot. Read yeah, it. I love that one. Um, and then the other one, which I think me and you are like the, the stand representatives for, is yep. Lydia Kang's The Call of Coruscant. Um, I, I really love this one. This one is like right up there for me as this well. This is great. <laughs> this is the story of a Jedi with all the riz. <laughs> And what, what's funny is me and Chris, you have heard this mentioned on other podcasts, we actually had the fortune of um, interviewing Lydia Kang and an absolute disaster of technology meant that the vast majority of that episode has been lost. And we're trying our best to, to recover some segments to post online because we did have such a great chat with Lydia and she was fantastic. But one of the things we actually talked to her about was specifically this story but specifically amadeo's riz <laughs> yeah and she she loved it she was dying she was laughing so hard uh because we're like did he bang her <laughs> and lydia kang did not give us a like yes but she gave us a basically like what would you think happened sort of thing but while while like laughing to almost to tears yeah she yeah, was. Yeah. Oh god, it was such a good. Okay, I'll say this now. We are big, big Lydia Kang fans. Yeah, yeah, she's in amazing. this podcast. She is one of the nicest people and best interviewees I've ever experienced. So, just just go out on the streets and campaign for Lydia Kang. Just like get Lydia Kang t-shirts. I don't <laughs> care. I know, I'm, I'm gone. Does, I don't know where I'm going with this, Dan. Does Lydia just... Kang have t-shirts? I don't think we're gonna does. make them. Hashtag <laughs> shit boys on the back. <laughs> But this story perfectly sums up why Lydia Kang is so great. Yep. Lydia Kang is so great because she comes in to Star Wars as a fan, but she comes in with like, how can I make an interesting story? It's not necessarily going to be an earth-shattering story. Which yeah. fair, Cataclysm was, but 
Um, it's it's a cataclysmic story, that one. I mean, literally, it's in the name. Um, it's not going to be a, a good story, but it's so interesting because we got to see um, Coruscant, a Coruscant nightlife. Yeah. We got to see some, like, promiscuous teens mm-hmm. out and about getting drunk and trying cool. to bang Jedi. A really accurate representation of, like, what it is to be a Jedi, a teenager, a Padawan, going through puberty, getting horny. Like, I don't, just, all, just all those, like, teenager things. Whilst being a Jedi, it was, like, pretty... It was pretty spot on. I loved it. Yeah, it didn't really, like, go anywhere or mean anything. And there wasn't really any big revelations. It was just a slice of life yeah. for just these two characters. So the master... We had a bit of a POV of the, his master as well. Who I can't remember his name. Miro was it? Miro, Lero? yeah, M- Miro Locks. Something um, like that. With, we understand from speaking to Lydia Kang that all she was tasked to do was introduce these characters yes. because they're going to feature in Phase Three. So she just made a little Riz story about them. Um, and you do see them in Shadows of Starlight. You see Amadeo briefly. Yeah, and he's yeah, mentioned yeah. in Eye of Darkness as well. He's not a main character in Eye of Darkness, but he's mentioned. So I think he's probably going to show up in YA. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping the YA stuff. I think Amadeo yeah. will fit fits that YA style really well. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, Lydia Kang made him an incredibly likable character in what thirty pages. Yeah, and made the the master. It is Miro Locks, the master apprentice relationship there really interesting in thirty yeah. pages. The thing that got me about it was that I really liked about their relationship is Miro Locks, the master, was not stoic or um, hid behind like Jedi protocols and all that kind of stuff. He had like genuine affection mm-hmm. for Amadeo mm-hmm. and like yeah. was worried about where he was and you know was not afraid to hide that, not afraid to show that. Sorry, it was like a parent, but like. It was it was it was different. It was a different dynamic from what we've seen from usual masters and apprentices. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked that. There was a lot of warmth. Yeah, it was a really warm story, and like, uh, I think the whole like Coruscant thing was really interesting because this was Amadeo's like first proper time on Coruscant, wasn't it? Am I am I right? Yeah. So he'd been a he'd, he'd been um, a Padawan on Coruscant, obviously, but then he's been kind of like traveling around the outer rim, I think. Yeah, so he had never, as a youngling, and I don't think he had ever really left the temple properly. I think that was the whole, the whole sort of thing with him. Um, yeah. But yeah, seeing him through, like seeing Coruscant through the eyes of like a sort of teenage wonder sort of thing, I thought was really interesting. And Lydia Kang even mentioned it to it. I'm sorry, all we're doing here is just talking about how great Lydia Kang was in the interview that people are never going to hear. Um, <laughs> but she mentioned how like a lot of it was based on her own experience, like moving to, was it New York City? Yeah, and then being kind of alone. And being like alone in the city and like everything being so big and so like breathtaking to to sort of wander about. And you really felt that on the page, like seeing Coruscant through Amadeo's eyes was, I think was one of the best representations of Coruscant I feel like we've had in such a short little story. And then there was Riz Riz as well, so... (laughs) Yeah, and we always appreciate some good writ. People are going to be sick of hearing us say that word. But it, honestly, it's just, it's a good joke for us. We like yeah. it. But also, um, genuinely, like, that I don't think there's enough, like, romance in Star Wars, which is 
I know that like the original trilogy has got romance and the prequel trilogy has got romance, but for me, I think like romance is an important part of Star Wars, and I sometimes oh, think yeah. that because Jedi aren't meant to meant to have attachments and stuff, we actually haven't seen a huge amount of it in recent years. Um, no, not at all. And the books are really the forerunners in it, but also whilst we don't get a huge amount of romance, we get even less of the flirty one night stand stuff. Yeah, we've had what, Elzar Man. Elzar Man, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had Ray Lavaros in Master and Apprentice. He was banging all the chicks. <laughs> um, but like, apart from that, yeah, it's, that's it. it's quite tame, I guess. And obviously we had a bit of it in Andor as well, which is quite like different. Um, yeah. So I, I, it's not a pervy thing. <laughs> I, I like no. I like a bit of romance and that sort of stuff in Star Wars. (laughs) In Star Wars, it's good. It brings the stories to life. It brings the characters to life. Um, Yeah, man, definitely. Um, Yeah, we haven't, like I said, we haven't really seen it. Um, It's quite funny, really, because I was reading on the internet recently, there was a a thread on one of the Facebook book groups, and they were talking about Lost Stars, and a bunch of the comments was, I really liked this, even like despite the romance i'm like what have people got against romance despite the romance even though that's the best thing about that book <laughs> yeah like are we really that insecure like about who we are as people and males or whatever because it's mainly males commenting yeah um, obviously. where we can't just say oh we enjoyed this love story what's going on with that well my favorite film of all times a rom-com so what is it when harry met sally that's such a banger, though, that is. Oh, That's such a good movie. It is. This has got nothing to do with Star Wars, but more romance in Star Wars. Let me, let me tie it in, let me tie it in. Okay. So, Riz Boy goes to Coruscant to meet that girl, mm-hmm. and then they're just friends, which is what Harry, and Harry Met Sally is all about, right? Yeah, but are they just friends? Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> but are, what, are Harry and Sally just friends? Well, obviously that's not. The whole, that's, that's, that's the whole, the whole point, point of the film. The movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't hear like any Jedi orgasm scenes. So, um, right. So, final thoughts on Call of Coruscant. We both love this one, yeah. Yeah, love this one, and I, I guarantee when people talk about this collection, not many people mention this story because it isn't one of those big eventful ones. But for I'm going to stand up for Lydia Kang, our hero, and say this one's a banger. Yeah, one of the best ones, yep. and it's going to go down in history as one of the most underrated ones, I reckon, as well. Yeah, I agree with all of that. It was it's the last one in the book, and I sort of like read for everything. And I was like, oh, the story's great, the story's great. All like all of the stories are absolutely great. And then I got like right to the end, and I was like, damn, this was like the hidden banger at the end of the book. Yeah, you like, messaged me being like, this last story, but they did Kang is awesome, and I was like, because you were ahead of me, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, and I read it, and at first I was like, it seems like a more of a slight story, but by the end, I totally understood. Yeah. So I think we have similar tastes, don't we? We like just those nice human stories. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sort of like funny, quirky human stories, I think, really clearly work for the two of us. Yeah, if 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 your favorite Star Wars books are the, the Bane trilogy and I don't know, Lords of the Sith, this probably, probably one probably isn't for you. Um, yeah. yeah. But for anyone who just likes a nice human personal story it's a good one yeah definitely i feel like we've we've uh we've talked about our two stories yep i said Chris... the word jello orgasm <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i doubt any of the other contributors would have said those words <laughs> no but that's what makes it special exactly um 
Brilliant. So <laughs> I, I don't even think we need to do the where people can find us bit. We won't waste any time doing that. It's me and Chris. You can find us every month with John on the Shitboy chat. Which is called the Comics Roundup. Which is called the Comics Roundup, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just um, rename it to the Shitboy chat. <laughs> and other places. Um, we will pass back to the host, which, is it us? I still haven't figured that bit out. Are we the we host? We might be passing it back to ourselves. <laughs> we might be passing it back to ourselves, or we might be passing it back to Johnny, Morgan, uh, maybe someone else. Lydia Kang, maybe. Lydia, Lydia Kang. There we go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Mate, that was mental. I don't know. Was it a mistake for us to have Chris and Dan do a session together for this one? Maybe we should have broken them up. They're a little bit too dynamic of a duo, I, I feel like. <laughs> um, no comment. But that being said, <laughs> I always enjoy listening to them. I always enjoy it. Totally. Absolutely. If nothing else, they are entertaining. Yes. Uh, so who have we got up next then, Morgan? Um, I think we're we're looking at our book ascendancy people. We're looking at Connor and Christy. Oh, I should know that because I talked to them. <laughs> you should know that because you did talk to them. Uh-huh. Um, they're they're doing some of the I think I think maybe the f- more fun and enjoyable stories, right? Oh, for sure. In terms of the collection, these are the ones that kind of have a little bit more light to them and a little bit more fluffiness to them. Yeah. Um, and deal with my like two personal favorite characters from from some of these uh, stories that we've had thus far. Maybe we should just jump right in. So here we are, huddled again in a back room of the Star Wars book community Tap Calf with Connor and Christy from the Book Ascendancy podcast. First of all, Connor, hello. It's great to have you back on the show. It's great to be back. I always enjoy filming these episodes. Uh, well, it's been a while since you and I were on the show together. I think the last time we were on the show was quite some months ago, uh, the last time we, we shared an episode. Uh, so, so it's good to chat to you again. Um, and Christy, this is your first time on the show. In fact, this is the first time that we've spoken, despite uh, following each other's Star Wars book-related journeys on Instagram for the last few years. Hello and welcome. Hello, I'm so excited to be here, and it's so nice to speak with you. It's I'm so excited. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, uh, thanks both for being here today to help us talk about this this great collection of short stories from the High Republic. Uh, the two stories that I wanted to chat to you two about are The Lonely Traveller is Home by Daniel Jose Older and The Queen's Bloom by Zoraida Cordova. Um, let's get into them then. Let's chat quickly about, sorry, let's chat first of all about The Lonely Traveller is Home by DJO. I mean, Unlike most of the stories in this collection, Lonely Traveller is Home is actually set during the events of the publishing phase that it relates to. Um, so here we catch up with Jedi Padawan Ram Jomaram. I always struggle with Ram's name, Ram Jomaram, uh, and, the re- <laughs> and the rest of the cast of the High Republic Adventures comics. I mean, plot-wise, really, we're following Ram as he runs around Starlight Beacon, trying to organize a surprise party to cheer up Zine, uh, who, he, who he thinks is homesick. Um, Christy, now this one was right at the top of your list of favourites from this collection. Why does it stand out for you? I think it was just such a cute and fun story. Like, mm-hmm. everyone makes fun of the High Republic for just being, like, heartbreaking, which I completely uh-huh. understand. Yeah. But 
Like, this story was just, it was just, like, a happy, feel-good story. And I thought Ram was so cute in it. And it's just the story of friendship. And it just really shined, like, that was the focal point of the whole thing. And it was nice to see, like, all the Padawans kind of having fun together. It wasn't, like, oh, adults and, like, watching over them. It was more like the kids are all having fun. And I think especially as this being, like, a young adult book, it was it was just nice to see something so lighthearted. Totally agree. Have you been a fan of those High Republic Adventures comics that DJO has been writing as as part of the High Republic project? <laughs> you want to know something? What's I've that? owned them for a while, and I've still yet to read them. But Ooh. like, I've like read scenes of them. Uh huh. That's the only High Republic thing I've not read like fully. Well, and, and I have them hmm. in my drawer. I got to. You need to do that because if this short story was up your street uh, for the reasons that you've just articulated, then those comics are going to be a breath of fresh air, I think, because it's exactly the same thing. It's it's light. It's fun. It's the kids having a good time. There's there's some peril, you know, and there's lovely. there's, there's, There's a beautiful romance in there as well, which just really develops slowly. Um. Oh, that that that's that, that's a treat waiting for you. Um, Co- Connor, what about you? How, how did you get on with this one? Well, I have to agree that it very much is like the adventures um <clears throat> story of the bunch. Like it fits right in line with those comics. Um, if this yeah. story were like in a comic format, kind of in that little collection, it'd yeah. fit right in. Um, it's nice to see, like Christy said, like a break from you know all the heartbreak, the pain, the suffering that is yeah. these books. I mean, I do always like it when characters from other stories kind of overlap and come together for a different story. So that was nice to see here as well. Yeah, and of course, Ram has done that, hasn't he? He, he was first introduced <laughs> in that uh, middle grade book for Phase 1, Wave 2, Race to Crash Point Tower, and mm-hmm. then then made the leap into the High Republic Adventures comics to, to join that crew. Uh, so, so I guess maybe you know, somewhere in there... I guess it is that idea maybe that he maybe he hasn't quite found his feet in that group of characters yet and he is feeling homesick and that that's a big part of where this little story goes, you know. Um, but uh, it's, it's a lovely group of friends uh, and those all of those tales by DJU um, work, work so well. I, I think, as you both said, as, as a counterpoint to some of the, some of the heavier stuff. <laughs> that's going down in the high republic you know um one of the things i loved about the high republic at the very outset with um light of the jedi was you know it's like oh this we're getting to see the jedi at their peak you know they've averted this amazing this this disaster in the head style system and you know um slowly not so slowly it kind of became sort of the disaster of the week you know (laughs) um there would just be a a, sort of a a series of unfortunate events um every time we get a new wave of high republic books but i i find this bunch of characters absolutely adorable and i'm very much looking forward to catching up with them as as we head into phase three and 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 whatever horrors phase three is going to visit (laughs) on us you know Um, i can't wait yeah yeah. I open every book and I ask myself, who's going to die this time? Oh man, don't. I know. I know. <laughs> it's I mean, it's... That's, that's the thing about this short story collection. Every now and again, you know, it's not in this story in particular, but maybe in some of the other ones, you know, you're just getting this little name drop and confirmation that, oh, they're dead now. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like you suddenly there's yeah. so much death that you're suddenly like, oh yeah, that person died too. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely bit of light relief amidst all of the all of the tragedy. I don't think DJ are quite wisely setting it before the events of Starlight Beacon <laughs> and and then yeah. the, the 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 fall of Starlight Beacon. Um. Let's chat about this other one then, The Queen's Bloom by Zoraida Cordova. Um, This one, I guess, is is also a little bit of an outlier timeline-wise, insofar as its Uh events take place well before the events of Phase 2. Um, you know, whereas the other stories that tie in with phase two characters, they're all set afterwards. Um, but here we find Axel Greylock essentially playing hooky from college with, with two friends. Um, well, I say friends with the girl that he likes and a boy he doesn't like very much at all. Uh, and they blag their way into this fancy party and get caught up in a robbery with Axel crossing paths for the first time with Alicia Zeveron. Um, now, Connor, this one was right up n- there near the top of your list of favourites from this collection. Is that because you're an Axel Greylark fan generally? Or, or was there something else about this story in particular that grabbed you? So, yes, guilty as charged. I am a very big Axel Greylark fan. Are you an fan. Axel stan? Oh, yes, man. Okay, I didn't know that. So. <laughs> um, and I just really like that he got this kind of moment here in this book, kind of before everything else that happens in um, phase two. And there was that one little conversation he had with his father right at the end. And that was that was the highlight of this entire story yeah. for me. Yes, because as we've got as we got to know Axel over the course of, of the phase two books, you know, hand on heart, he's a character that kind of annoys me. I I I don't <laughs> I don't have the space uh, this, ep- this episode's I, over it's over <laughs> I, I, I don't have the emotional energy for that much drama in my life you know what i mean it's like yeah, if i, I, if do, I knew I this do. guy in real life I'd, I'd need to stage an, inter- oh. an intervention or something it, <laughs> i love axel in the books if i knew him in real life i don't know if i would be such yeah. A fan. yeah that yeah. might be a different story yeah <laughs> um but um so I, I wasn't drawn to him as a character, but I loved this story. And I and I I think you're right, Connor, that beat at the end with his father, because as the books, as his story in the books progresses, you know, you, you start to see the pain that he's gone through in losing his father. And, and you know, a lot of his antipathy towards the Jedi is tied up with that. And, you know, having him have that scene with his father at the end of that story was beautiful really beautiful and I, and I say that as someone who doesn't care for the character very much at all um but I, I really enjoyed it um Christy what about you how did you like the Queen's Bloom I loved it I am also an Axel fan I just I love the characters that are just overly sarcastic and just causing chaos wherever they go but it was like what you were just saying with his father it's nice to see this character that has gotten mentioned just in like passing Mm. kind to see him alive and what he actually like meant to axel which was really sweet and i also do like the time period that it was set in it was such like a different time and it was also like you could see where Axel is definitely the same character as he was now and how he kind of falls into those traps time and time again, which I really loved. And I I just like, I feel like, of course, like with the author, like she's written Axel 
plenty of times, but it was just nice to like get to see him again and see him in what I would say is like true Axel form. Like it felt like the character a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did either of you get? I uh, well, certainly I was getting strong Ferris Bueller's Day Off vibes at at the, <sighs> at the start. <gasps> That's like one thing I was like. Of course, Axel's doing this. Like he's playing hooky, playing a fake fever. Like uh -huh. does well to get out of school. Yeah, and I, I can't remember the name of the dean the of the college. Her name, uh, but I, I, I was I was getting definite um, headmaster Rooney vibes, principal Rooney vibes from from this kind of whole. She, she had this laundry list of things that she wanted to pin on him. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of I, I couldn't get the opening scene so Ferris Bueller out of my head as as I was reading sort of <laughs> the opening to this. Um, I, I feel like that must have been uh, sort of a, a touchstone for um, for the author as she was getting into that. Oh yeah, I could totally see that. So what about um, is there anything else from either of these stories that either of you really want to get into? I mean, Axel just kind of crossing paths with the mother before oh, yeah. she was the mother is kind of a little. It's a cool little moment. It's not like. A big or impactful thing but it's cool yeah. to see who yeah. she was before yeah because the, the, yeah. there's clearly a lot of backstory between them that we, we didn't get in, in either mm. convergence or cataclysm you know um and even the, there's, there's a lot of narrative space still left between where, where we leave those characters at the end of this story and getting to the point where alicia calls him my chaos you know, you know, there's a little allusion to that in this story where where she where she tells him that she admires his chaos. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, but but I, I feel like we're a number of years and some adventures away from him being her chaos. You know, there's more there's there's more story there that um, I didn't think I wanted until I read this story. <laughs> actually, um, so I'm. I may be coming around to the Axel Greylark. <laughs> there you go. Maybe. Yes, Maybe. he's coming around. Yeah. yeah, I definitely love that little allusion to like her saying like my chaos, and it's like now like the same thing with I was saying with the father. Like when you reread those phase two books, you can be like, this is like the moment that those like the like the mother and Axel like met. Like that's yeah. the moment there that kind of spark happened yeah. to make him where he ended up where we see him in phase two i i think i am going to enjoy him in my phase two reread a lot more for having read this story basically for those two reasons just that little bit of contact a little bit of context uh for the relationship with alicia and the scene with with his father um that uh maybe it'll help me sympathize with him a bit more uh <laughs> as opposed to just judging him for being a hot mess. Um, but okay, folks, that, that's probably about all we've got time for um, on this one. It's been lovely chatting to you both. Uh, but before you go, why don't you let the folks listening know where they can find you and the Book Ascendancy podcast online? You can find me at Admiral Reads on Instagram and you can find Book Ascendancy at book ascendancy on instagram as well as other like streaming platforms just search up book ascendancy for the actual podcast and you can find me at connor's bookshelf on instagram 
fantastic fantastic and yeah folks if you're not following connor and christy online what are you doing get on it and, <laughs> um book ascendancy is, is, is you guys are nailing it with book ascendancy particularly in in terms of putting out short episodes which is something we tried to do really early on and then couldn't manage it because we just kept talking we just kept right talking. right <laughs> um, it's hard sometimes yeah but uh yes so good good job in book sense he loved listening and um thank you yeah yeah thank uh, you i hope we haven't seen the last of, of both of you on on the pod here Yeah, Johnny, I know you struggle with Axel, but I i mean, I honestly think that Axel Greylark and, and Chris <laughs> of our podcast are very much the same person. So I don't know what that says about your relationship with Chris, but... <laughs> I don't think we yet need to stage an intervention with Chris in terms of comics roundup for, uh, or canon catch-up. You never know. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, the galaxy is in danger yet from any of Chris's activities, so we might be okay. <laughs> so you're going to get to listen to a little bit more of me next, right? Yeah, you were speaking to Monica, is that right? Yeah, and it's her first time talking with us, which is really exciting. New voices on the podcast. Yes, we love it. Yeah, I love it when we have new voices on the podcast. Yeah, really, if you're listening right now and you want to be on the podcast, please let us know because we would love to have you, regardless of how confident you are in your podcasting skills. I mean, you've heard some of us, so, you know. <laughs> we'll help you. We'll make you better. Anyway, let, let's listen to Morgan and Monica have a chat about Rogue Element and Shields of the Jedi. Continuing with our chat on Tales of Light and Life, this is Morgan uh, at Not a Force User on Instagram. Um, and I'm joined in this chat by Monica at Monilib. Um, do you want to say hi, Monica? Hi. All right, awesome. So, Monica and I are going to discuss two different stories from the Tales of Light and Life collection. Um, and I think that they're Monica's two favorites. They were. They were so good. Um, so, we're going to be talking about Rogue Element by Alyssa Wong. And we're also going to be talking about um, Shield of the Jedi by George Mann, yeah. which I think, and you can correct me if you're, if I'm wrong on this one, I think that we both like these because of the characters. I think so too. That we get to follow in these particular ones. Um, yeah. So let's start, if it's okay with you, with Shield of the Jedi. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Shield of the Jedi by George Mann uh, follows Padawan Ruper um, as she goes about um essentially her jedi trials right mm -hmm. she's she's gonna go and potentially become a jedi knight um and ruper was introduced to us in phase two this is one of the phase two stories she was in the middle grade books yeah which is always exciting because i feel like we don't get as much middle grade um, or at least as many characters from middle grade so um, what was your overall impression on this one monica i have always been interested in the jedi trials and like thinking about how they've changed because like this was a lot hers was a lot more like tailored to her than I thought they would be um just like our schooling and how the the Jedi scene in the prequels it makes it sound very dogmatic and this one it was her master was just figuring out the best um trial for her 
as related to her as well as her master. Yeah. Whose name I am terrified of mispronouncing. So yeah, let's just we'll see if I we'll just it. call it double S. Yes. Um Yeah, no, I agree with you because I, I always got that impression too that the trials were like something that was I don't know, almost like a big obstacle course that every single Jedi had to do the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. I was like, it was that or like you're like Reef and you went through a war and something super traumatic and they just gave it to you. Yeah, that that seems to be like the two ends of the spectrum, right? As far as what we've seen. But I think the High, High Republic in general has given us a few more examples of these more tailor-fitted trials, yeah. which is really exciting to see. Yeah. Um, so there's some kind of cool themes in this one. The trial is really interesting. Um, and it is. I don't know. I don't want to like spoil it too much. I don't, I don't know how much spoiling there is yeah. to do on this one. Um, but it's basically just that she has to find the shield, right? That's, that's the whole thing. And mm -hmm. yeah. there's some really cool interactions with the uh, local people where they happen to be. Um, and what were, what were your impressions? On those, um, I thought that it was pretty, like, it was kind of like going along the way that I thought it was going to go with the townspeople in particular. And then, right with Rupert, we realized something else. And we're like, oh, wait, new perspective. And I just love how that was brought in, um, in the middle of the trial and just how, how true it was and how it's true for Rupert. And it's also true for us in our own life. Absolutely. It almost feels like a parable, yeah. right? Like you think you know who the evil thing mm -hmm. is, or you think you know what the trial is that you're going through only to discover that you didn't have all the information yeah. and it's more nuanced mm -hmm. than that, which is really cool for this one. Was there anything, um, I mean, obviously the phase two is done yeah. now. Um, so we probably aren't going to see Rupert, or at least maybe we'll see the echoes of mm -hmm. Rupert. I'm um, wondering in the where future. that shield is now in phase yeah. One. So it's just like who has it? That that was my question to you is where where do we think I, I mean I'm I'm imagining this book being there and having phase one and phase two that something's gonna tie into phase three eventually, oh, yeah, right? Sure. So what I don't know, what do you think would tie in? Do you think it's gonna be the shield? Is that gonna be our our focus? That being what ties in with Rupert, or it could be oh, something yeah. with the Pathfinder, like maybe pa Planet X will come back again. Um which I don't know if you've played Jedi Survivor, but is that Tantalor? I would just, I'm like, are they the same or are they different? Because I would assume they're the same. I haven't played it, but I've heard, okay. um, I've watched playthroughs and stuff. Um, okay. And a lot of people, I think there was even a discussion on another episode of the podcast where they're like, okay, they, they're pretty that. sure that it's the same thing. Okay. Um, I, I don't thinking, know that it's been so... officially confirmed. Yeah. Maybe that will just come back again um, in phase three. Or well, I would love to see the shield again. Yeah, the shield would be a really cool tie-in to see further yeah. down the line as far as things go. Do you have any final thoughts on this story before we move on to the second story, which was my personal favorite? I don't know if it was your personal favorite or not. It was also my personal favorite. So I think we hit all the main points so we can move on to Rogue Element. Perfect. So the second story was Rogue Element by Alyssa Wong. Um, and this is their first story in the High Republic, which is very exciting for me and I think for you. Um, and in this story... Yes, I love their Dr. Apple. Absolutely. Um, so this story is picking up from 
DJO's uh, Midnight Horizon and Fall is Crash, um, and also introduces a new character that I'm very excited about, but I don't know about you. I love him. <laughs> I love him too. Um, but I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, or you can say that you don't know, um, but I think that DJO and Alyssa Wong's story that they're doing together, their middle grade, might relate to these characters, hopefully. Oh, doesn't it? I, I know it's definitely got Ram. I feel like. So I don't know. Maybe it'll tie back in to these hopefully guys. Hopefully it well. does. It makes sense. Because I, I believe that DJO based Crash off of Alyssa. He did. So I, it makes sense for them to do it again. And I would love that because I love Crash and Vino and the new character who's introduced. And they're all so fun. And Ram's also fantastic. So if that's what it is, I'll be so happy. I'm glad you said Spino because I was like, I don't know how to pronounce that. So I'm glad you said it. <laughs> That's how we say it. <laughs> hey, like, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, and then yeah. Rue being our new character is going to be a fun one. So this story is is almost more of a heist story, right? It's it's one of those cool mm -hmm. street level style Star Wars stories that I love. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We need more of them. Yeah, we do need more of them. Like, I think all of my favorite Star Wars books are street level stories. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, like, we love a Jedi story, but we, we really love a street-level story. Um, mm -hmm. And this is obviously, like, the furthest one set. This is probably the closest in bridge um, in timing to Phase 3 um, as the yeah. last story here as well. So, um, we're kind of dealing with the fallout on Corellia after all of the events that happened in Midnight Horizon, which, absolutely crazy story, crazy book, right? Oh my gosh, it was so good. Um, where we still have some like Nihil and we maybe have somebody who's assuming Nihil like uh, characteristics in order to do maybe good things. Um, it's kind of yeah, morally great <laughs> things. Um, and that, that yeah. someone is, is Rue, right? So Rue is our new uh -huh. character that was introduced in this one. Um, obviously you said that you loved Crash and we love um, Silvano. What is our, what is our thought on Rue? Do we, do we like Rue? I love Rue. I would love to just follow Rue on a whole book length long adventure. I hope we do. He's so great. Yeah. A good perspective I feel like we haven't seen before um, with his, uh, where he is in life and his relationship to um, Corellia and also the Force and the Jedi in general and all that jazz. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's kind of another story of those disillusioned Jedis, in mm -hmm. a way. It's not necessarily I'm disillusioned with the order itself, but yeah, right, like, it's it's kind of in the vein, sort of, of the uh, Rise of the Red Blade kind of story, right? Where we're seeing that one, yeah. somebody who's not, ooh, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. I mean, you know that they're going to become an Inquisitor, so. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> but you're seeing someone who's not necessarily feeling like they're served by the Jedi Order. Um, or at least mm -hmm. served by certain things that the Jedi Order is doing and how they yeah. respond to that, which this is really cool to see, even in the High Republic, which to a lot of us, I think, seems like a more perfect era of the Jedi, that there are yeah, still some it definitely issues. Is. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. Um, what do you think about the actual heist story, though? Did you did you enjoy, like, not necessarily heist, but that ground level kind of deal? No, I liked it. I thought it was some nice stakes for everybody and like it wasn't like oh they're going to destroy all of Corellia if we don't do it and like it was like nice low level 
just focused on the characters and i just love stories like that absolutely but and i think like you said the stakes were enough right some of these mm -hmm. stories they're the the stakes either felt way too high for a short story or they felt way too low yeah and this one it felt just right in terms of stakes so mm -hmm. i'm 100 percent with you there on that one yeah. um is there okay so rue once again because i'm just stuck on rue because i'm enjoying rue so much as a character the whole eye thing oh my gosh the eye thing i feel like I that's just... got to be important right i want to see what he looks like so bad i because like the eyes sound so interesting it's just like that's such a cool defense mechanism for one thing and then how does he see <laughs> is it like a spider or is it like a, a person like i don't know i don't think we're, that we're going to get an answer to that question but i don't know maybe it feels like it could be important though right like why why introduce this entire new species with this whole new ability defense mechanism thing if it's not going mm -hmm. to come into play down the line somewhere yeah <sighs> do you have any like final thoughts on on that story in particular i mean like obviously we both know that we loved it is there anything that you wanted to contribute on there such a fun one i feel like Alyssa long they're not like on the book publishing scene quite as much as they could be. Like, I mean, they're everywhere in comics, but yes. I'm excited to see them more and more into um, novels and books and short stories and stuff just because they've always written good stuff. And I know that like, I always harp on this every time that there's a post that anybody makes about any book that has a queer character in it. Um, mm -hmm. But I love that Rue's trans, like it's kind of on it. Rue is trans and like most of the characters yes. that we see in the High Republic it's not that they're like trans trans it's that they're trans mm -hmm. binary um so it's yeah. really cool to see a trans character and it's done so subtly that if you didn't think about it you'd be like mm -hmm. okay you you wouldn't yeah. gather I I actually had to like search afterward I was like is Rue trans and I was like yeah, yeah I read it and I was like wait did that mean what I thought it meant and then I read it again, I was like, it does, it does. That's so it fun. Has to. And I love that, well, I only know non-binary authors. So, you know, Alyssa Wong is non-binary, so is Tessa Grattan. Um, and yeah. so I just love how they've been able to write queer characters who are similar to them, um, like Rue, and then also with Skygraph, like we've discussed before out on Instagram. Um, and so I just love it when people are able to write a little bit towards their experiences. It's It just feels so much more, I don't wanna say, it feels so much more genuine um mm -hmm. and personal and like an actual experience then yeah. i mean don't get me wrong i love when our not queer authors or our um cis authors throw in a character and give us a little bit of queer representation um mm -hmm. but sometimes it doesn't come across in the greatest way um i'm thinking yeah. looking directly at uh, our little force twins that give yes. me the creeps yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah. i think the way that these two in particular write those characters it, it gives them so much more life and lived in feel um and it really actually does. Puts those, yeah puts those sorts yeah. of things in perspective well i think that we've kind of talked about these as much as we can um yeah I think so. so it's probably about time to wrap up then uh so monica if people want to find you again on the internet uh where would they be able to do that so the best place is on instagram at monilib um stands for monica's library so that's why it's that um but yeah come follow me give a comment i'd love to chat 
you do love to chat. I love chatting with you in your comment section. So jumping from newcomer, which was Monica in this last one, we're going to go to some old favorites of our uh, of our podcast, some of the guests that everyone knows and everyone loves. And we're going to finish it up with two more stories, the ones that we have not yet talked about, but they're from some of our favorite High Republic creators. We look at Kevin Scott's, which is probably for for a lot of us kind of the more experimental of the stories kevin usually gets pretty experimental with things and then justina ireland who is a tried and true favorite so let's let them go i'm joined now in the star wars book community tap calf by uh jason and johnny um and we're going to chat about a couple more of these short stories from the Tales of Light and Life collection. We're going to chat about The Force Provides by Justina Ireland and Light in the Darkness by Kevin Scott. Um, hi, Jason and Johnny. How are you doing? Hello. Doing well. Hello there. Good. Yep. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, good to have you both on board. And this is the first time you guys have spoken, actually, isn't it? Yes. It is indeed. It's first time. I mean, this is an audio podcast, but first time Johnny and I are seeing each other. So that's yeah. fun. Another uh, yeah. Meeting another uh, friend from across the pond. But isn't that wild yeah. with this podcast? You know, there, there are folk here that we've, we've now known for sort of two years mm -hmm. plus in some <laughs> instances from these sort of Instagram group chats and whatnot. But we're actually <laughs> kind of getting to to talk together yeah. on this show i love that i love that yes it's all because of you guys thank you for bringing us all together yeah. well you say across the pond but i was formerly your side of the pond so there you go oh okay <laughs> i did not know that That's i did not know right. that yeah i lived in arizona for three years so yeah. oh you lived in arizona oh we were really yeah. close then okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, you you even brought one of uh, one of our American friends back home with you. I did, yes. <laughs> well, she yeah. was here first, well, and then then I went there. And now, uh, okay. Mm. Now I just got to get over there. It's so. something. <laughs> uh, fantastic, fantastic. All right, let let's get into to these two stories. So, um, in the Force Provides by Justina Ireland, we catch up with Vernestra Rowe. Uh, haunted by dreams of the fall of Starlight Beacon and now a Jedi Wayseeker. The plot takes her to the planet Mikos, where she helps uh, basically like a Togruta pirate queen, who's kind of incognito, um, helps her disrupt the unfair practices of, of this local shipping guild. Um, Johnny, th this one was right up at the top of your list of favourites from this collection. Why was that? Um, I think it was just because it's such a personal story about Vanestra Rowe, it felt like to me. Um, I like the fact that, of, well, obviously, most of the authors here are kind of writing about characters that they've written about before. Um, and yeah. I think Vanestra Rowe is a favourite of a lot of people, really. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just the fact that, um, you know, she we see her kind of... You know, she she's reliving the horror of Starlight Beacon in her dreams, even though you know she was down on the surface of Irem, and you know she feels kind of like a survivor guilt about Stellan because obviously he was her master. Um, yeah, and then you know we see that not, and she's not the only person in this in in this anthology uh, within the other stories that disagrees with kind of the recall order. And the fact that she disagrees with the mm. fact that the Jedi Order are still kind of fighting the Nihil, she thinks that that should be the responsibility of the uh, the Republic now. 
and that they should just be, mm-hmm. you know, helping people. Um, and we see her kind of, she kind of becomes an unofficial way seeker because I think when we've seen way seekers before in like phase one, they've, you like you kind of get permission from the Jedi Order to become a way seeker and go off and do your own thing. Whereas she's yeah. just like, I'm not going back for the recall. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure about. It. I, I couldn't. I couldn't figure out from the way that's worded in the story whether it, it does say <laughs> she just decided to be a way seeker, and fortunately nobody really missed her because everybody had everybody in the council had too much else on their minds. Yeah. But it, but you, you're picking up from that that she kind of just went. She just went off on her own yeah. without permission. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like that. Like she just mm-hmm. picking up on the kind of thing that the way seekers do, but she didn't go the way that you normally go to do that kind of thing yeah and obviously yeah. you've got the whole kind of adventure with uh tanabi who's a really cool character i think uh you know as you alluded to she's a like a you kind of come across her she's older she's you find out she, she's a freedom fighter and then later on we find out that she is actually a princess um that gave up her throne mm. to marry like a commoner kind of thing um which is, yeah. you know, a fun thing to see in Star Wars. And then at the end, she directs, was it Vern, to a planet called Ibei, uh, where she yeah. can like, be at peace and yeah. kind of process everything that she's been through. So I think it leaves her in a really interesting place for Phase 3 um, to see what happens with her next. Yeah, I, th- I think so. For me, for me, a lot of the really juicy tidbits throughout this collection are those little hints about sort of what has happened in the immediate aftermath with these characters, mm. and then sort of where they're being left, so that we know kind of we know we can look forward to now where we're going to pick up with them going forward. Um, Jason, I I think this might be the first time, and I may be wrong about this because I just can't remember enough of the Fallen Star, but. Is this the first time that it was confirmed that Imri Kantaros and Avon Staros were dead? I was wondering the exact same thing. Um, I, I think so. Um, she's basically confirming that Imri yeah. is dead. Um, and I, when I reread this story again in preparation for this chat, I was like, wait, is that the first time that was mentioned? So we might have to throw that to, to the community to uh, help us confirm. But yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think Justina Ireland really shines in these kind of um, short story format. It, this um, story reminded me a lot of the Sonastaros um, Marvel miniseries. Like, I think Justina Ireland does a great job yeah. of like writing badass grandmas, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was yeah. Vibes- she's got a, she's got a Yes, I was getting vibes of that. And I just felt like the story was, and I think I enjoyed this entire collection because these stories are so contained that you can kind of like introduce and exit new characters without feeling like, oh my gosh, do I have to remember who they are? Are they connected to the story? Whether or not some of these characters will be, I feel like in this contained format, you got to know them and you kind of like said goodbye to them at the same time while setting up what's going on with Vernestra. And so I just... I don't know if anyone else got like kind of comic book miniseries vibes, especially from this one. It just felt like a side adventure that Vernestro was going on. And um, it was twisty and kind of, you know, mysterious. I felt like there was some kind of shocking elements in terms of um, some of the characters and stuff. So I I enjoyed it in that regard. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really tight little short story. Yeah, it says that uh, Imri, Avon and J6 are gone. 
So maybe there's yeah. a little wiggle room for somebody to survive, but like, yeah, it's just like, oh yeah. wow, they're yeah, they're okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess as as far as Vern and her, the journey she's on right now is concerned, she is she believes Correct. they're gone. Correct. Yes. I would don't want to believe uh, Emery's gone. I mean, that's heartbreaking. I know yeah. a lot of people no. loved him as and, do I. So we'll see. It, it'll be really interesting to see who they who they allow mm -hmm. to stay dead and who, and who they bring <laughs> back and. Because you know, there's something to be said for letting that event, the fall of Starlight, carry that weight, mm -hmm. and just some, sometimes these awful things happen, and you don't get to say your goodbyes mm -hmm. properly, and the readers aren't ready to let go, and nobody's ready to let go, but they are just mm -hmm. gone. And I kind of wonder if they will just, you know, there will be a number of them who are just gone. But I do wonder which ones they'll cherry pick to kind of save and sort of, you know, mir miraculously rescue from the wreckage one way. Yeah, one way I mean, I guess we can only hope that Burry was the one that they kind of, you know, just even before anything came out, they just confirmed that he's alive. So I'm kind of hoping they'll <laughs> they'll pick maybe yeah. one or two more that we don't know for sure. Um, but I guess we'll see when yeah. Phase Three kicks off. Uh, I'm we sorry, to, sorry, I apologize to Chris, but Stellan's gone. <laughs> I know he's holding oh, on yeah. to hope that yeah. Stellan's gone, but like, just needs to it. I think he's the fact that Vern considers him gone, and you know, also yeah. the fact that an entire space yeah. station fell on top of him, he's dead. Sorry, and, <laughs> and, and and not to disrespect him, not not to disrespect the the venerable Stellan Geos, but yeah. I think he deserves to be gone after that. <laughs> yeah, that. it's a, a heroic thing that he did and like so <laughs> yeah. it's an appropriate ending um, for him yeah this isn't a flex but for those of us who have maybe started eye of darkness who have gotten early um i don't know chris might have to start Double accepting flex. things <laughs> yeah 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 we can yeah. cut that well, if you need i don't yeah, know how spoilery started, that is started, i think he has started but yeah yeah um, one other thing, just before we move on to, to the next story, um, there's a, a little thread there that I enjoy, just teased in this story about Marie Santeca and those yeah, burner like she's still trying to figure it out. And you know, I mean, I, I, I was really thankful for that because what what happened out of the shadows for me still is one of my favorite The High Republic books. Yeah, same here. And what. The plot bit, the plot elements that are set up there and, and and sort of followed up there and left hanging there, are still some of my are still some of the plot threads that I'm most intrigued about. And and we didn't get any of that in Wave Three of of Phase One. Um. So so just the idea that that it's, it's not gone away, it's there, and and hopefully we'll find out a bit more about that as as Vern's story progresses. Um. That has me excited for sure. Yeah. Um. But let's let's move on to the chat about light in the darkness. Then, um, in this one, Kevin Scott gives us a glimpse of what Keith Trennis has been up to since the fall of Starlight Beacon. Um, you know, though she uh, and um, Terek and Sarah make sort of quite a late entrance in this story. Uh, the story is told sort of more through the the eyes of the diminutive uh, Inami um, Kian and her fearless uh, little brother Hoy. Um, as they and their people defy the huts who seem to be kind of taking advantage of the whole situation going on in the outer rim there. Um, Jason, I know that you're a fan uh, of Kevin Scott's novels in the High Republic project, but the char character of Keeve, I guess, has, at least until, up until now, been largely explored in, in the comics. Is she a character that you've connected with strongly in the past? And did you 
enjoy catching up with her hair. Yes, definitely. I think a lot of us who have been following the High Republic since its inception, I know Keeve is one of those ones that I know, at least for Cavan, has been no close to his heart. And he wants to kind of tell the story of her, I'm going to use the word downfall, um, because we know from Dooku Jedi Lost that she is has gone down a certain path that is very unknown to all of us at this point. So at any time yeah. we can get Keeve in a story, I'm up for it. I, I love in how in previous works and novels we've seen folks from the comics. Um, I'm particularly thinking of Path of Vengeance when, um, like, help me with the names, guys. Matt, Matty? Yes, thank you. When Matty makes an appearance. So to me, I love, it's that whole, like, cross um, crossing of media for me that is so exciting about this in general right and i've already seen it a little bit in yeah. um jedi brave in every way there's some teases of some of the younglings that are going to oh. be coming up in that already made an appearance in um shadows of starlight so i'm sorry i'm talking about a whole bunch of different stuff here so what i'm trying to say is anytime characters cross over in media i'm a fan I'm, yeah. it's, I'm ne it never throws me off. It might throw people off who haven't kept up with the comics. And it does still surprise me how many folks have not jumped into the comics. So I'll just, again, guys, I'm always talking comics when yeah. I'm here with you guys. I feel like that always happens. <laughs> Every time I come here, we're talking about books and I bring it back to comics. But it's just a media and a form that I feel like a lot of people don't um, give the proper appreciation and maybe weight of, from what it deserves and it's a very yeah. specific medium i get that but it's so fulfilling for the higher public if you can just take a chance and dive in because those stories are just yeah. as um fulfilling and the characters mm. it, i feel like even in a different way i we if you followed keeve so far when you see her on the page you will have a greater understanding of who she is and what she looks like because yeah. in this story as well we don't get a visual description of the anami so there's characters in this story that we don't i don't even know mm -hmm. what they look like yeah and I guess that's going to yeah. be, I don't want to say that's a ding, but if you can have a visual reference to me, that's super helpful. So when Keeve makes an appearance and if you follow yeah. her, you know who she is, you know what she's been through um, and you know what she looks like. And so I feel like those are all just small wins that as a reader, you're, it's just going to make it a lot more enjoyable for you. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 this, this short story is definitely a, a, a sort of a, a gift to folks who have been following those comics and um you know yeah we'll get that extra spark of recognition i guess it, it's kind of wild to me to think that there may there, there are i know there are people but it is wild to me to think that there are people who are reading the high republic but aren't reading the comics or mm. you know just reading the adult novels or something you know um and, and therefore literally missing mm -hmm. 70 percent of the story you know read everything everyone read everything <laughs> yeah. it's worth it it is worth it yeah the comics add so much anyway. just because they're so well entwined with the books and also just to give you some visual references i mean i know we've had character art and stuff but just to have the world of the higher republic in a visual format as well just adds quite a lot yeah. to it i think yeah johnny what did you think of light in the darkness um <laughs> it's my least favorite mm -hmm. of the entire anthology i think yeah. uh, it's not to say i disliked it i enjoyed it but I struggle, and I, I love everything else Kevin Scott has done within the High Republic. I just, um, I struggled with why he chose to do it the way he did. Yeah. Like with, you know, like you said, we've got new characters from a new species on a new planet, and then because all the other authors, you know, everybody, most of the authors are dealing with characters that they've written before. Yeah. 
and you know all of those characters get a bit of progression through even just a short story yeah of how they're dealing with the fall of starlight beacon yeah. and then the uh, keeve and Terek and seret show up so close to the end yeah that it's just like they're there but we don't get to really learn much yeah. other than the fact that keeve is now a master mm-hmm. how did that happen <laughs> oh, I, I think I missed like, that. Maybe, maybe I mean, maybe that's something that he's gonna come back to in the comics and show yeah. when she became a master. But I was just like, "What? She's a master, and now the story's over." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, mean I... <laughs> I wanted to know more, and obviously, it does give a little bit, like you said, about how the galaxy, the state of the galaxy, mm-hmm. in you know what's happening because of a the Nihil. Mm-hmm. Um, set up there like a barrier, or whatever you want to call it, and then yeah. the Jedi being recalled. So, like, there's a power vacuum almost in the outer room where the huts are taking yeah. advantage. So, you mm-hmm. see a little bit of the state of the galaxy because of yeah, that. Yeah, it's just that little sort of sprinkling of galactic context. He eases our entry back into Phase 3, I guess. Yeah, so it was fine as a story. I just wanted a little bit more from like Keeve. I wanted to spend a bit more time with her. Yeah, I mean, um, and I, yeah. I guess he, he's probably structured it this way because he's just keeping his powder dry for the comic. Yeah, I, I, I can only assume he's got another story in mind for how he wants to launch Keeve really into the Phase Three story, um, uh, and, that, and that's totally fine. So, so we get this kind of slightly, yeah. slightly less. Um, it it feels yeah. le- less substantial as, as a story about yeah. the Jedi here. Yeah. You're just getting yeah. you're getting a little tiny snapshot of where Keeve and Terek and Sarah are at, basically. Yeah, and, and that's and that's kind of it. Yeah, I'll say too. This one threw me the first time as well because it's towards the end, and so I feel like I was expecting more of kind of like a direct handoff to what's going to start happening in phase three but i think i was thrown because i was like i didn't know how to orient myself i was like i don't know who these people are like i I was really confused and like you said johnny like people we know show up so late and so i i was really thrown um obviously was well written but i again just contextually i was like where are we what is this and then again i will say i think once we dive into or once eye of darkness comes out um this story, um, I feel, gives a greater picture, like you said, about the state of the galaxy. And it gives this like little glimpse of like what's going on inside the occlusion zone. And I feel like yeah. Eye of Darkness gives me that context that when I read it again, I was like, oh, I get what he's doing now. I still don't know who these characters are. I don't know what they look like. I'm ho- Maybe I, these are ones that I hope show up eventually because I even I do that thing where I always yeah. Google all the races or all the aliens because I don't remember what they all look like. Yeah. Likewise. And the anomaly, there's Likewise. nothing. There's literally nothing. Yeah, I looked these guys up and I was just like, oh, these aren't you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. brand new. So I have no idea what they look like. So I'm really hoping like Ario and Dito or someone, like we get to see some sort of visual yeah. of them. And so, um, again, I don't mean to flex, but I think once I have darkness, yeah. and I'm not even done with the book, but it, it really helped give me the context that I think I was looking for when I read it the okay. first time. Uh, I, I wondered if the fact that we didn't get a visual, uh, sort of any kind of description of what the, this race looked like meant that actually maybe he was going to show them to us at some point. He wasn't going to waste yes. precious, word, precious word count here. Their, their fur is mentioned, so they're some sort of furry race. Yeah. <laughs> And, and seem seem to be and quite small. They have thin kind of, thin yeah. limbs. There were yeah. thin limbs and fur. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> good good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Um, I think that's probably all the time we've got. But Jason, Johnny, thank you so much 
Uh, it's great to chat to you as always. Why don't you let the folks uh, listening know where they can find you if you don't mind being found online, Jason? Yes, you can find me at This Dad Reads um, on my website, on my socials, my podcast, thisdadreads.com. It has links to everything, so come find me. Awesome. And Johnny? Uh, yeah, at Starbird Files on Instagram, uh, also on Facebook. You can find links uh, through my Instagram to my, my blog, etc. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. So that was uh, Jason and Johnny O um, ch- chatting about the last two of the stories um, from, from Kevin Scott and Justina Ireland. Um, Morgan, it, it, I've loved listening to all of these, um, particularly the ones that I wasn't involved in. <laughs> it's been great to hear everybody's points of view. Um, I, I think fair to say that it's been a really well-received collection of stories, yeah? Absolutely. And I think it's really kind of exciting that we have so many different voices, not only in the publishing initiative for this one, but in our community that have been enjoying this and want to talk about it and celebrate these stories. So that's exciting yeah i love this format uh you know it's a lot it's it's a lot of extra hard work to pull together all the all these different conversations but it, i think it's really worth doing and it's exactly what the storage book community podcast is here for you know to to, to hear from lots of different folks within the, the the book fan community um and and to get those different perspectives um so yeah yeah i've re- i've had a lot of fun here with with the with these chats and and listening to the to the conversations that i wasn't wasn't in on yeah absolutely um hopefully we can do more story or more episodes like this where we're looking at talking to a bunch of people and incorporating these smaller chats i guess it's time for us to sign off though um so yeah i i guess why don't we just let folk know where they can find uh you and i and um and how they can get in touch with the podcast. Absolutely. So I am still not a Force user on virtually everywhere that one can be not a Force user. Um, and Johnny? And I am on Instagram and threads as at Journals of the Wills, uh, and less frequently on, on Twitter as at Journals Wills. And of course, if you want to reach out to the whole podcast team, uh, you can find us on all the usual social media channels, and there you're looking for at S. WBC podcast.